Are you ready to get dark? Welcome to John Campy After the Dark, the show where we talk about all the dark things my film-loving brother and sister. All the dark things my film-loving brother and sister. Dark things my film. Oh, echoes, dark echoes all over the place. Anyway, guys, we talk about dark things on the show. Dark things like leaving your dirty dishes in the sink for your roommate to wash. Dark. Things like calling your girlfriend by her by your ex-girlfriend's name while making snoo snoo. Dark and very dangerous for your health, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, guys, welcome to John Campy After Dark. This is a show where, of course, we uh we this is a companion video. This is you can see every day on the John Campy Show, Monday through Friday. We take the second half of the show to take live comments and questions, but we normally don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in. So I want to make sure you get those questions answered quickly so we gather them up. We talk about them here on John Campia after dark, and this is when we do them live. And by the way, I only I only let you guys know literally about 12 minutes before we started this show, like 12 minutes before I just because I was going to record a companion video and literally just I just decided last second, ah, we'll just do it live as an after dark. And there's already like almost 100 of you guys in the live chat, even though we just <laughs> put this up like 12 minutes ago. So it's good to have you guys here. Hello to everybody from Bully McGuire and Richard and Michael and Brooks and everybody else in the live chat. Good to have you guys here. And we do have a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about here. We got a whole bunch of your guys' live comments and questions that you guys have sent in earlier. So I'm glad you're right here and make sure you throw in your thoughts and comments and all the things that we're going to be talking about here as well. I'm going to be keeping an eye on the live chat as well. And yes, uh, Pokemon Ash Green 2, I am full of surprises, uh, as they say in the live chat. So let's not waste any time and get right to it, shall we? We're going to start things off with Ben Rayner, who writes, Hey, John, I just watched the Spencer trailer with Kristen Seward as Princess Diana, and I love the trailer. I'm calling it right now, September 24th. Mark the date. She is going to win an Oscar for this. She looks incredible, and the movie looks great also. Thanks. Bring on the filthy, if that were the case. Well, I mean, listen, what I've been hearing from people who have seen uh, Spencer with Kristen Stewart playing Princess Diana which all of us, including me, kind of went, huh? Like, I, I think Kristen Stewart's a very good actress, but when I heard she was going to be play, playing Princess Diana, I was like, really? That's an odd match. But the people I know who have seen it are saying she's going to get nominated for Best Actress for this. Like, that seems to be the consensus. They're saying she's that good in this. And, I mean, I don't know if you can call it, Ben, from watching a trailer, but I am hearing other people saying it, so... Uh, let's see how it goes. All right, next up, uh, BK Dan writes, John, for those Doctor Who fans out there, Russell Davies, previous showrunner on the show, is coming back in 2023 to head up for the 60th anniversary show. Yeah, I read about that. Now, look, I am not a, I'm not a fan of Doctor Who. I don't dislike Doctor Who. I just don't watch it. That's all. I don't dislike Doctor Who. For all of you in the live chat, don't get mad at me. I'm not saying I'm not saying I think it's bad. I just don't watch it. So I can't say for sure. But I did think it was interesting to hear that the former showrunner is coming back. That doesn't happen very often. It happened on Community, but you don't hear it happening often. So I'm happy for uh, for uh, my Doctor Who fans out there. By the way, uh, my kid banana sends in a five dollar super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, my kid banana. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Sam Fisher writes. 
Have you seen Mark Hamill on Graham Norton during the Episode 7 press tour? No, I did not. Uh, He talked about having to keep the end of Empire Strikes Back a secret for 18 months and that the cover line in the script was, no, Obi-Wan killed your father. Interesting. I never heard that story. And and no, I didn't see him on Graham Norton. Although, I mean, Graham Norton isn't really watched a lot in North America, but I see him interviewing everybody. I should probably catch up on him because I hear it's pretty good. Anyway, Sam Fisher also writes, uh, you've said that titles don't matter for for you when it comes to movies, but it does for me. For example, I saw the title for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri is what it's called. You call it three billboards outside of whatever the fuck. And I was immediately turned off to the movie and I haven't seen for me. Title is first impression. Here's the thing, Sam, you're not listening to what I'm saying. I've been very, very clear about this. All right. A title for a movie doesn't matter as far as how good or bad the movie is. A a title for a movie is just marketing. That's all it is. A title for a movie is nothing more than marketing. A terrible title for a movie is not going to make the movie bad. A great title for a movie is not going to make the movie good. So when I say I don't care about a title, it's because it doesn't impact in the slightest how good or bad the movie is. All it is is a piece of marketing. So yes, a title for a piece of marketing may turn you on or turn you off to a movie before you've had a chance to see it, but not one movie in in the history of film has been made better by the title. Nor has one movie in the history of film been made worse by the title. The title sits outside the movie. That's why I mean there are good there are good um there are good titles, there are bad titles. But none of them make any difference as far as how good or bad the movie is it's just that simple so that's what i mean by that sam that's what i mean by that by the way do watch three billboards outside of ebbing missouri it is a fucking awesome movie it is a tour de force three of the actors got nominated for best for uh for oscars two of them won you should absolutely watch it it's an absolutely fantastic fantastic uh movie all right next up uh let's see roger writes Would it be absurd for Lucasfilm to say they made a mistake with the sequels and that they are going to scratch those films and make new movies like those never happened? Yes, it would be absurd. Um, It's not like those movies were obscure and they flopped at the box office and they all made over a billion dollars. I mean, it doesn't matter how much I dislike The Rise of Skywalker. They made over a billion dollars. And listen, the sequels... As much as I dislike The Rise of Skywalker, the sequels are way better than the prequels. And I will tell you, it would be ridiculous for Lucasfilm to say, let's pretend like the sequels didn't exist. The way Star Wars is put together, it is one big canon family. And I may hate the prequels, but they're canon and they need to stay. You may like or not like the sequels, but they're canon and they need to stay. Um, so, yes. It would be completely absurd for Luke to do that. What they need to do is move forward and continue to make good movies like like the original trilogy or Rogue One or the uh, the uh, the Force Awakens. Stop making crappy ones like The Rise of Skywalker and a couple of other things they've done. That's what they need to do. You don't fix anything by pretending the stuff you've already made and is and is in canon isn't there, especially stuff that's been as popular as these. Because hey, love or hate the Rise of Skywalker or Last Show, whatever, they all made over a billion dollars. So yes, it would be absolutely ludicrous uh, for them to do it. And I see some foolish, misguided people saying the prequel. No, the prequels are no, the prequels are absolute shit. 
the the Force Awakens is fantastic. Uh, you know, the jury's out on The Last Jedi. Rise of Skywalker's terrible. But like each and every one of the prequels was mountains of shit, mountains of shit, mountains of shit. So, hey, it's all subjective. Everybody will have their own opinions, and that's perfectly fine. But yeah, there's there's no way you'll ever win an argument that the prequels are better than the sequels. I mean, I think we can all agree. Is it safe to say that we can all agree that the original trilogy is the best? Can we all agree on that? I think we can all agree on that thing, right? We can all agree on that. The original trilogy is the best. Everything else is below the original trilogy. Anyway, okay, let's move on. Uh, next up, we've got, where are we at? Joe Fayant writes, could Sony lose the film rights to Spider-Man if this were to happen? Similar to how if Comcast had won the bidding war to get 20th Century Fox, the X-Men slash Fantastic Four rights would have went back to Marvel anyway. No, they wouldn't have. That's, that is a complete misnomer, misunderstanding. I see a lot of people saying that. That's not what would have happened. If, if Fox had not sold to Disney, there's this thing that went out there and people just think it's true. It's not. People think that the rights would have gone automatically from Fox back to uh, Marvel had Disney not purchased Fox. That is not true. Licenses are still valid. If Fox, if, if let's say if Comcast had bought Fox, right? If they had kept Fox as a, um, as its own company, just like when uh, Disney bought Pixar, Pixar stayed as a together company, right? If Comcast let Fox stay as its own company, then every contract is still valid. What wouldn't have been allowed to happen is that Fox would not have been allowed to transfer the license to X-Men and Fantastic Four to Universal. They couldn't do that. But if they were still Fox, it doesn't matter which company owns them. They're still Fox. The license is with Fox. And that would have happened. So if... For some reason, uh, something like that happened, it, it wouldn't matter. The agreement, the leasing agreement as it stands is between Marvel as an entity and Sony as an entity. As long as those entities still exist, the licenses are valid. And if Marvel, if Disney were to sell Marvel to, I don't know, Discovery, the license would still be valid. So you still have to honor those things. So no, in that regard, they could not go back. They, they could not go back. All right, next up. Uh, Morris writes, did you know Ryan Reynolds follows you on Twitter? Yes, I am aware of that. Um, I saw he liked and retweeted some of your posts. Doesn't it make you nervous when you give negative opinions about celebrities who follow you and their work? Like how you gave a negative review of the, of the Red Notice trailer. How do you handle that? All right, um, Okay, so look, I am as geeky as a fanboy as anybody else. I'm not I'm not going to pretend I'm cool. Like, oh yeah, that celebrity follows me on Twitter. Oh yeah, I know. No, 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 no. When I and and listen, I am as social media vain as anybody. So like, you're damn right. I look up which verified Twitter users 
who are normally celebrities, which verified Twitter users follow me? Oh, believe me. I am as social media vain as anybody in the world. I look that shit up and I geek out when I see somebody that I'm a fan of actually follows me on Twitter. Yes, I do that. I'm totally, I'm totally social media shallow that way. I want to look up which celebrities are following me and I want to know who's following me. And then I totally freak out and geek out when I find out that they do. So yes, I am totally, totally aware of that. And so yes, uh, being that Ryan Reynolds is my favorite movie star in the world. Yeah. I, I was very early to notice when I found out that Ryan Reynolds followed me on Twitter. So yes, I'm aware of that. And Ryan Reynolds is my, my favorite celebrity in the world. And yeah, there are others who follow me as well. Um, that being said, yeah, there, there is like, I'll let you in a little secret. I, I happen to know that once in a while, Ryan Reynolds watches our videos. I also know that. So does that make it awkward when say a trailer like red notice comes out, which of course Ryan Reynolds is in with uh, Gal Gadot and, uh, and uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, who's another big favorite of mine. Um, when I give a negative thought about that trailer, is it awkward to do it? Maybe a little bit because in the back of my head, I know, Oh, Ryan Reynolds will probably see that I've given a, a poor, a poor impression of the red notice trailer. I listen, I'll tell you straight up. I didn't think the red notice trailer was very good, right? I didn't think the red notice trailer was very good, but here's the thing. All I have, and I've said this many times, the only thing I have to offer my audience is my honest opinion. That's all I've got. And sometimes my opinion is the popular opinion. Sometimes it's the unpopular opinion. But like I've said many times, my job is not to tell you guys what you already think. And my job is not to convince you to agree with me. My job is to give you my opinion and give it in such a way that it helps you sharpen your own opinion, whether it's the same or completely opposite from mine. But see, all I've got is my honest opinion. And therefore, I have to give my honest opinion every time, even if it's the unpopular thing to say. I have to give my the pop, I have to give my honest opinion. And so when it comes to somebody like Ryan Reynolds who is like good Canadian kid by the way and my favorite movie star at the moment, uh I got to be honest. If I watch a Red Notice trailer and I think it's not good, I've got to tell you guys it's not good. Because if I ever don't give you my honest opinion, then what's the point in ever watching me? You may like what I say, you may not like what I say, but you'll always know whatever it is I say, it's what I actually think. And sometimes it'll make you mad, sometimes it'll make you happy, but whenever I say something, whether you like it or don't like it, you will always know it's what I actually think, because that's all I've got to offer. I have nothing else. So yeah, in the back of my head, do I feel like, ah, this is kind of shitty. I'm going to say this crappy thing about a Ryan Reynolds movie. And he may actually hear that I'm saying something shitty about his movie or another celebrity. I'm not going to talk about what celebrities follow me on Twitter or anything, but, or if it, another celebrity, sure, that's in the back of my head a little bit, but I have to ignore that because they put out a movie. If I love it, like free guy, right? You guys have been hearing me rave about free guy. If I love it, like free guy, then when I rave about it, you guys know that what I'm saying is what I actually think. But if Ryan Reynolds, if something else with Ryan Reynolds comes out like a red notice trailer and I don't think it's good, 
And who knows, maybe the movie will be great, but I thought the trailer was bad. Then I got to tell you, I thought it was bad. And I'm sure actors like Ryan Reynolds and others who follow me, they're all big boys and girls enough to know that sometimes pundits will like some stuff that comes out with them in it, and sometimes they won't. I'm sure they're big boys and girls enough to know that. So I'm sure that's perfectly fine. So yeah, that's uh, that's that. Anyway, thanks for asking the question, Morris. I hope that clears that up. Anyway, by the way, my kid banana sends in another super chat badge in live chat. Thank you very much, man. That's your second one you sent in. So thank you for that. As well as S beam also sends in a super chat badge. I appreciate that very much, man. Okay. Let's now keep moving on here. Uh, next up, we've got Sam Fisher writes one of two. When it comes to, uh, Cox, Fox, and Molina, I'm in the camp of they are playing new versions of the character. Well, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. And we'll get to that in a second. If um, if Cox is playing Daredevil, which I do not think he is, uh, which I don't think he is, I don't think he is playing the version from Netflix, just like how I don't think uh, Electro and Doc Ock are the same Electro and Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2 and The Amazing Spider-Man 3, because, or, or in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Because you're right, I don't think Feige uh, likes sloppy seconds. Granted, if they're new versions, wouldn't you get different actors? Well, here's the thing, though. I don't know about the Jamie Foxx Electro. That I don't know. But as far as the Alfred Molino Doc Ock goes, we know it's the same one from that other movie. Because Alfred Molino was interviewed, and we talked about it on our show, where he directly said the director, John Watts, sat down and talked to him and said, here's the vision. We're going to grab Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2 from the moment when he was about to drown. At that moment, he's going to be now in a different universe. And hence, they've had to de-age him and everything digitally, Alfred Molina, to make him look just like he did in Spider-Man 2. So we know, I mean, unless he was lying to us, if he was lying and misdirecting us, maybe he was. But if we're going to go by what he said, he said, it is, I'm the same Doc Ock from that Spider-Man 2 because the director told me we're going to be picking him up right from the moment when he was about to drown in Spider-Man 2 and he's going to be brought over in here. That's why he looks exactly the same as he did in that movie. Now, as far as Iron Wolf mentions this in the live chat saying Doc Ock looks 100% exactly the same. That's exactly what they were going for. That's exactly what they were going for. Now, as far as Jamie Foxx goes, though, it might be different with Jamie Foxx's Electro because we've even heard Jamie Foxx said it's going to be a different Electro than before. So, But with Molina, we know that's the case. So let's we still got just a couple more months to go. Let's see how this all kind of uh, uh, comes out. All right, next up, Sam Fisher writes, uh, let's see. Regarding Johnny, the Johnny Depp video, which I did on uh, Friday, Thursday or Friday. Anyway, uh, shouldn't the UK court case not have any bearing on the US case as it is an outside court? I'm worried that him losing the UK case will create an inherent bias. Also, which system do you like better, onus on the plaintiff or on the defendant? I am always, always, always believe that the onus should always be on the, the plaintiff or the prosecution. If you're taking somebody to court, the onus should be on you. If it's the government taking you to court for a criminal charge, the onus needs to be on the government. Innocent until proven guilty. It's the defendant that gets the benefit of the doubt. And the onus or burden of proof lies with either the plaintiff or the prosecution in this case. If somebody is going to drag you to court, the responsibility needs to be on them to prove 
that they should find, the court should find in their favor in suing you. I always, I 100% believe that's something where I believe the North American, the Canadian, and the American legal system gets right as opposed to the UK legal system. In the UK, we talked about this in the Johnny Depp uh, thing. In the UK system, the onus is on the defendant. So Johnny Depp took those newspapers to court and sued them saying they created libel by saying he was a wife beater. And in the UK court system, the burden of proof was on the newspaper to prove that they didn't. It wasn't on Johnny Depp to prove that they did. Johnny Depp didn't have to prove anything in the UK court. The burden of proof was on the defendant and they won. They won. In the U.S., in the in the court case that's about to happen with Johnny Depp, it's going to be much, much harder for Johnny Depp because now the burden of proof is on him. You know, he's suing uh, Amber Heard. Amber Heard doesn't have to prove anything. Amber Heard, the responsibility, the onus, the burden of proof is not on Amber Heard to prove that she didn't commit defamation. The burden of proof is going to be on Johnny Depp to, to prove that she did. And he couldn't do it in the U.K., He failed when he was in a legal system that was more conducive to his position. And he lost. He lost badly because not only did he lose in court, then it went in front of two other UK judges when he appealed, when he applied for an appeal and two other judges looked at the case and said, nope, you have no chance of winning. So I don't know how he's supposed to win in an American court where it's going to be twice as hard for him to win, considering the burden of proof is now on him. Look, Anything can happen. Crazier things have happened. So we'll have to keep our eyes on it. But I personally always believe if the government is taking you to court or if somebody else is taking you to court, the burden of proof should be on them. If you're getting sued for anything or charged with something, you should be innocent until proven guilty. It's the onus and burden of proof should always be on the person bringing you to court. So that's my own personal opinion on it. That's my own personal opinion. Uh, by the way, uh, Luke1234 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Luke. I appreciate that, man, very much. Okay, uh, let's move on. Next up, where are we at? That was Sam. Next up is Anon E. Mouse who writes, Greetings and salutations, film fans. My theory on Spider-Man is that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire will show up and out of the three Spider-Men, one will save the day and die. One will become the Sony Spider-Man and one will stay with the Avengers. I I would like to have some of what you're smoking. Um, No, that's not going to happen. I mean, one part of that might happen. But you're not going to see, no, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are not not coming back as full-time Spider-Men. Yeah. Yeah, that's not happening. That's not happening. Uh so no. It's not, but hey, I uh, I I could see first of all, we don't even know. Let's be clear here. We don't even know that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in this movie. Can let's be very very clear about that. Like I believe they will be and a bunch of people believe they will be, but let's be very clear. We don't know they will be. We're just guessing that they will. If they are though it's very possible like the other two spider-men die that andrew and toby die in that doing something heroic or whatever but now i don't think either of them are sticking around all right uh next up we've got film buff bell writes hey john i recently visited an old school an old school cinema here in the uk 
I love sitting up on the balcony and seeing the curtains part ways on the big screen. The Art Deco of the 30s era. Cinema definitely added to that experience. Have you visited any? Oh, yeah, they've got a few in L.A. Actually, there is a um, a big-time movie theater right in Hollywood called the El Capitan. You guys might have seen it in the video I did of me and Rob going to see Shang-Chi. That was at the El Capitan Theater. It's that total 30s, 40s, 50s Hollywood-style movie theater. It's got the balcony. It has a big pre-movie show, six sets of curtains spread. They have a pipe organist playing during it. Yeah, when you go to one of those movie theaters, dude, film buff, absolutely it adds to the experience. It 100% 100% as to the experience, and I absolutely love it. All right, next up, Iggy, Ray's, uh, Iggy Ria's uh, stash dad writes, over under 70% that they will make a joke about Donkey Kong's banana fix. Donkey Kong high on bananas. I, if you're talking about the upcoming Mario Brothers movie that Chris Pratt is going to be doing the voice of Mario, and uh, who is it? Um, uh, Day. What's, what's, the, what's the guy's name from Always Sunny in Philadelphia? What's his first name? His last name is Day. I keep forgetting it. Not Tim Day, not Steve Day. It's, come on, guys, in the life chat. Charlie Day. Thank you. Redford Reddington was the first one to put it in. So did that yes guy, Iron Wolf. Uh, is he doing work? Yeah, Charlie Day. So yeah, Chris Pratt voicing Mario. You got Charlie Day voicing Luigi. Neither of them are Italian, but whatever. Would have been nice to see an Italian guy in there doing a voice of the Italian characters, but whatever. It's fine. Um, so that's, I, I'm going to go under 70%. I do not think they will make a joke about uh, Donkey Kong bananas, but you never know. Oh, by the way, John Salvi and Al Rencha both send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys. Appreciate that very much. Okay, let's move on here. Next up, we got dad jokes rights. John, Zevia, sponsor me, you cheap sons of bitches. Uh, fan, here's $400. Please show us your breakdancing video. John, fuck no. I need a hundred times that amount. Fans, you cheap son of a bitch. Fans, let's start a John Campia breakdancing video. Go fund me. You win. No, no, no. No, no, no. Never going to happen. And, and yeah, so that four would have to have that 400 would need to have one, two, three, four more zeros put on it. You raised me four million dollars four million dollars and maybe just maybe i will consider um i will consider releasing the breakdancing video four million dollars uh i mean even for that amount even then i would probably have to do it Uh, all right uh next up uh let's see we have uh, Joe Wakefield writes, what are your thoughts on the 1998 film SLC punk? No idea. I've never heard of it. Uh, I believe it won Sundance that year. That's 23 years ago, man. That was before I was even doing this <laughs> as a career. Um, it stars Matthew Lillard. I like Matthew as a young Jason Siegel or, and a young Jason Siegel. Uh, it is my favorite film. What do you think of it? And, or what is one of your favorite lesser known movies? Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with SLC punk unless I'm just, unless I have seen it, I'm just totally forgetting it. Um, so I will have to say my favorite smaller movie that a lot of people don't know about, and I'll see if I can bring up an image of it here. Um, uh, the one, and it's, I absolutely love this movie. It's from 2006. Okay. And I'm going to see how many of you guys, how, how long some of you guys have been watching me for. To see if any of you guys know off the top of your head what movie I'm going to say. 
I'll just, I'll just give you guys a second to see if any of you guys know which movie I'm actually about to say here as far as well, like my favorite, like little hidden unknown movie that a lot of people don't know about or watch. Cause I used to talk about this movie all the time, but I actually haven't talked about it in a while. So it's been a while. Charlie Cooper in the live chat is saying Titanic. No, that's a pretty popular one. It's not that one. Oh, Cody V Munoz. No, I'm not about to talk about grandma's boy. But Grandma's Boy is a comedy that y'all need to watch. Grandma's Boy is hilarious. And it was actually a little bit ahead of its time. So, yes, got to watch uh, uh, Grandma's Boy. Uh, John Sylvia saying Dodgeball. No, that's too big of a movie. Iron Wolf saying Untouchables, too big of a movie. Stardust, too big of a movie. Mystery Men, too big of a movie. Um, uh, 40 year Virgin, obviously too big of a movie. Here's the one. Here's the one I was talking about. It's a little horror comedy it's a little horror comedy uh doss miller saying slither again that one's made by that one's got nathan fillion and elizabeth banks is directed by james gunn that one's a little too big although everybody should watch slither everybody should totally watch slither but it's a little horror comedy doing work got it see doing work got it I can't believe it. I wouldn't have guessed anybody would actually get it, but see doing work came up with it. It is a little movie called behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. This movie is gold on three different levels. Number one, it is a hilarious comedy. Number two, at one point in the movie, it shifts gears from comedy to legitimate straight up horror movie. And it's a really good horror movie when it goes into that. And number three, it's a total deconstruction of the horror genre. It's actually where Scream does it as well. But Leslie Vernon does it better than Scream. It's a deconstruction of the whole horror genre. And it's brilliant on that level. It's super funny. It's really insightful as far as the horror genre goes. And then when it becomes a horror movie, it, it's really scary. And again, it's called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Robert England, who plays Freddy, obviously, um, he actually has a guest appearance in this as well. That's really, really good. So the basic idea of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon is this. And you guys must find it and watch it. You must. Watch it with a couple of friends. But the basic idea is this. A college documentarian and her crew, right? She, she goes, she's a college student. She's making a documentary and it imagines the world. Follow me here where Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers, all of them are real, right? So it, it imagines this world where all of them are real. And this documentary team from college they come across a guy by the name of Leslie Vernon, who is currently in training to become the next great supernatural slasher killer. So who aspires to be like the next Freddy, the next Jason, whatever, right? So they come across Leslie Vernon and they're following Leslie Vernon, documenting him being in training to become the next big supernatural serial killer. And it's awesome. It is absolutely awesome. Like I said, as a comedy, as a horror, and as a deconstruction of the horror genre, I, they always talked about doing a sequel and I never knew why they didn't do it. 
I always wish they had done a sequel to this and they never did. But uh, yeah, check this one out when you guys get a chance. It's really, really great. It is a comedy. It is a horror and it's a deconstruction of the genre and it's great on all levels and it's a small little low budget thing and ah, chef's kiss. I love this movie. More people should see it. Okay, let's uh, keep going here, shall we? Uh, we are going to keep going here with, that's not where we're at. This is where we're at. Uh, we are at BK Dan who writes, oh, no, no, no. This was from, this was from earlier. Sorry. Where are we at? We're at Joe Wakefield. That's right. Uh, we just did Joe Wakefield. Next one up is Corey and Corey writes, uh, Hey John, Ted Lasso's latest episode was so good. Was phenomenal for me. This show has been incredible. I went from dying laughing at Avenge Me to crying at the heavier moments. This is a top TV show episode for me. What are your thoughts? No, it was great. Uh, no Weddings in a Funeral was the name of the episode. The, the name of this most recent Ted Lasso episode was No Weddings in a Funeral. And it was great. It was great. I will say this, though. As much as I love this show, love it. Love the show Ted Lasso. And while I do appreciate that they're introducing some heavier stuff in season two, I do. I think that's good. I think it's. I think that's good that they're introducing some heavier stuff in season two. I worry that it's becoming too heavy. It's it, here's what it is. It's sacrificing. I fear too much of the levity in order to have the heaviness. And I, again, I'm saying I like that they're introducing more heaviness into it. I like that they're exploring exploring what Ted struggles with and things like that. But at the same time, I worry they might be doing it a little too much. I don't know. They still have two episodes to go. Then we'll see how the rest of it goes. And I have really enjoyed the season. I really have. And I love this show. Absolutely love it. But yes, this uh, this episode was great. I'm looking forward to the final two. All right. Next up, uh, Victor Von Doom writes. Over under 40%, uh, we meet the Fantastic Four at the end of Spidey 3 since Watts is directing both. Under. Um, they're not going to use that movie to just introduce such major characters as that. Not to mention, this was a movie that was already in the development and planning stages before Kevin Feige knew that they were getting Fantastic Four. So they're not about to rewrite the movie and make it so the Fantastic Four can come in. So I'm not saying it's impossible. It's not. But I'm going to go well under 40%. I'm going to go well under 40%. Still possible, still possible, but nowhere nowhere near as high as 40%. So let's see what happens. All right, next up. Uh, My Comic Planet writes, one of two, Neil Gaiman, author and executive producer for the upcoming Sandman show on Netflix, just posted on his Twitter, and he is in awe after watching one of the episodes, but he warned that watching it could be a traumatizing experience in a good way. Uh, I've been a huge fan of the comics and can't wait for this show. The best way to describe it is a mind-bending and very dark story. I just hope Netflix is able to make it more accessible to mainstream audiences. What is your anticipation level, John? I'm going to be honest. Uh, it's not huge. I don't, I don't have a huge anticipation level for Sandman. The reason being is I have, I've always had, you know, Rob and I talked about this years ago. I have always had a very strong doubt that this is a story that could try, translate well to screen. I've always had big doubts that it is a story that could translate well to screen. It's kind of the same feeling that I've had about the Cimmerillion or about like a wrinkle in time. And, you know, what happened with the wrinkle in time? 
not so good. And and again, I've always just worried that I do not know that it could translate. Well, just like I've always wondered, like a lot of people, whether Watchmen, as it is in the graphic novel, could actually translate well to the screen. And I personally, look, I know the world is divided. Some love the Watchmen movie, some don't. I'm in the camp that I didn't really think it was all that great. I didn't think it was all that bad, but I didn't think it was all that great. I thought the HBO show Watchmen was way better. But I don't blame anybody for that because I thought that was a very difficult thing to bring to the screen. It's it's just a story that plays out better on a printed page than it does on the screen. And so whether that's going to be the case with Sandman or not, I don't know. I don't know. I do just worry a little bit that it's not going to translate well. So who knows? We'll see when it comes out. I saw the little teaser. It, eh, it, it didn't really give us much. It was okay. Yeah, there, there he is oh, in the circle, but so we'll see. Maybe it'll be great and mind-bending and unbelievable. But again, I just have my doubts about it. So we'll see. Hope for the best, though. Hope for the best. Okay, next up. Uh, let's see. Anonymous viewer writes, You said that you theorized that No Way Home would be Spider-Man's exit from the MCU. Yeah, that's a theory. It's just, just a theory, but yeah, it is, that is my theory. Um, that's possible. What about his other MCU appearance? Uh, it could be Doctor Strange 2, but I feel Marvel wanted that as part of the deal, so it could be for an Avengers-type movie. Here's the thing, though. This is what everybody needs, always forgets. Everybody's assuming that he's going to appear in another movie after Spider-Man No Way Home. And they always go back to, well, because there's one more appearance contract in the contract. Like, not another Spider-Man movie, but another appearance in the contract. Yes, but that doesn't mean they need to do it. Just because it's there, that doesn't mean they have to do it. Kind of like... um, I keep forgetting the actor's name. The guy who is the original, uh, who is the original war machine. Um, and he was in, he was the star of empire on Fox. And I keep forgetting his name, but anyway, he had a contract. Terrence Howard, uh, Marine Hussein, Hussein said, thank you. Terrence Howard and Eugene Benby did as well. And as did iron wolf. So Terrence Howard had a multi-film contract to play war machine, to play roadie. But that only meant that if Marvel wanted to use him to play Iron Man or to play War Machine, he had to come. Like, I think he had a three-film deal. But the only thing that three-film deal meant was if Marvel wants to use him as War Machine, he's got to come in and play War Machine for at least three movies. But that didn't mean Marvel had to use him. Just like any another actor, they can sign, you know, uh, Brie Larson to a 20 film deal. Well, that's great, but they don't actually have to use her for 20 films if they don't want to. They can use her for three and then not use her anymore. It's just that simple. So yes, there is another appearance in the deal between Marvel and Sony. Outside of Spider-Man No Way Home, there is one more appearance. So that could be Doctor Strange. That could be uh, Ant-Man 3. It could be anything, right? Could be anything. But... But it doesn't mean they have to do it. It doesn't mean they have to do it. So while it is definitely possible, and I think we will see, personally, I think we will see Spider-Man in another film, uh, somebody else's film 
after No Way Home. But there's nothing that says he absolutely needs to be. Even the contract doesn't mean that. So just something to keep in mind. Just something to keep in mind. That's all. All right. Uh, Let's see. Next up, we've got Patrick who writes. So about the Marvel suing to keep Iron Man, et cetera, situation. If such a law exists and it does exist uh, after that, after a certain period of time, someone can get something they sold back. Then what stops Marvel taking Spider-Man, et cetera, back from Sony? Or is that a different situation? Good question, Patrick. It's a totally different situation, but it's a great question to ask. See, what Patrick is referring to is there is a law because right now Marvel is suing the estates of uh, Ditko and Stan Lee and others to prevent their the estates of Ditko and Lee from getting back the rights to Ditko and Lee's characters. There is a law in the U.S. that says, I think it's after 60 years, a creator of an intellectual property, if they sell it off, they can actually petition after 60 years to get it back. We see that happening, uh, and I can't remember if it's 60 years or 30. I can't remember what the time frame is. I'm not super familiar with what the law says specifically, but uh, it's a law that's being contended in court, contested in court right now between the guys who created Predator and Disney right now because they're trying to get the Predator IP back. And the estates of Ditko and Stan Lee are trying to get their property back now too. And Disney is suing them to try to prevent that from happening. Anyway, it's a big thing. You can go Google it and look up more on the law. However, it is totally different, totally different from the Marvel and Sony deal with Spider-Man. You see, technically speaking, Marvel still owns Spider-Man. They own him, but Sony has a, license on it, a lease, if you will, right? They have a lease on it. So it's a totally different situation from what that law covers because Marvel still owns Spider-Man. They own them, but Sony has a license. As long as Sony has that license, while Marvel is still the technical owner, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in very general terms here, okay? It's like if I own a house and then I rent it out via a lease to you. Hey, listen, man, as long as you're following the rules of the lease, you get to live in that house. I can't just come over tomorrow and say, get out of my house right now. I can't do that. You've got a lease. We've got a legally binding agreement. The house is still mine, but as long as you're abiding by the rules of the lease, you get to live there. Again, I'm just using a super simple analogy here to to make it up. But anyway, yes, the situation between Marvel and... Um, and and Sony regarding the film rights to Spider-Man is a totally different situation because Sony never bought the rights off of Marvel. Marvel still owns them. It's just that Sony has the lease rights on them right now. And however long that deal, you know, their, their contract says that can last, that can last for infinity. That can last to forever. So, but it's a different situation. All right. Good question though, Patrick. All right. Next up, uh, the Korean Shang writes or Shang-Chi writes, uh, hey, John and Rob. Rob's obviously not here right now. Uh, have some more Korean TV shows for you. Squid Game is all right. Yeah, I watched Squid Game, by the way. A bunch of you guys recommended that I watch Squid Game, and I did. I liked it. I didn't think it was as great as some people make it out to be. I didn't like the ending very much, but overall, 
I got through the entire nine episodes in about three days. Like I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Not again, not mind blowing like it was for some people, but I said, I watched all nine episodes in three days. I liked it anyway. uh, Squid game is all right. I would recommend these. It's okay to not be okay. I've heard of that. Uh, It deals with mental health in Korea and mental health is taboo. And Mr. Sunshine deals with Japan. I've not heard of either of those. I've not heard of either of those, but I will keep my eye on them. So thank you for the recommendations, Korean Shang-Chi. All right, next up, the Korean Shang-Chi also writes, uh, Hey, John, John Rob again, Rob's not here. I'm curious to know why movie theaters didn't bring back the drive-in movie theater during the pandemic times. They did. Um, I would think it would be a lot more safer. I don't know. Maybe I'm not considering some things here. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I don't, listen, I'm sure it's different everywhere in the world, but as far as like, where I live, um, yeah, during the pandemic, drive-in theaters started to make a big comeback around here. I know, I mean, I made some videos about Ann and I going to drive-ins. Like, we went to go see, um, we went to go see, what's that Tom Hanks one again? Of course, we're going to see Tom Hanks one. Um, the one where they're on the Apollo space mission. Why am I freezing on the title of it? Anyway, it's only one of Tom Hanks' best movies. Anyway, we went to go see that. We went to go see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We went to go see, um, oh, we went to go see two or three others. But yeah, like right there in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, uh, Jin Tazian is the first one. That's right, Apollo 13. Thank you, guys. Jin was the first one to put in Apollo 13. Monkey, Jeebus, Sea uh, Doing Work, Lona, the Shell People, a whole bunch of guys. But yes, it was Apollo 13. So we went to see Apollo 13, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, two or three others. We started making a thing of it. We just get in the thing, go watch movies at the drive-in. It was great. So they did make a bit of a resurgence. The problem is, you can't just pop up brand new drive-ins very easily because it takes an awful, a big lot of land. And in big cities, there's just not many of those to go around. But yeah, where, where we live, we went to go see uh, the drive-in quite a bit during the uh, during the pandemic. All right, next up, uh, the Super Korean writes, uh, so I'm watching Doom Patrol season three. I love Doom Patrol. And I loved it since the first season. I also really enjoy Brendan Fraser. And it got me thinking, will we ever see a hero like Brendan Fraser portrayed in the Mummy movies again? What do you think? I don't know what it is you're asking. I don't think you meant it to sound like that. I think you're asking, are we going to see Brennan Fraser play a hero character like he did in The Mummy? I I don't know. Um, I like Brendan Fraser very much, and I love him in Doom Patrol. I would love to see a big Brennan Fraser resurgence. As a matter of fact, we just talked about a trailer recently where that he's in. Do I ever think he'll be a big hero character in a movie again like he was in The Mummy? I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like, listen, Hollywood movie fans love comebacks, right? I don't know if Brendan Fraser can do it. I'd certainly be interested in it. I mean, I mean, let's call a spade a spade too. He has to get himself in much better shape. <laughs> He'd have to be the big hero character like he was in George of the Jungle or in, uh, or in the Mummy or things like that. He's he's got to get himself back into shape because he is not in the same shape that he used to be in. All right, none of us are, but he's not in the same shape that he was in when he was George of the Jungle and when he was starring in the Mummy film. So he'd have to number one get himself way back into shape. Um, 
But can he? I, I mean, I don't know. I would like to see it. I Look, I'm going to say this. I would personally like to see it. I don't think the chances are good, but I really would like to see it because I've always liked him very much. I've always liked him very much. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Jonathan writes, Stephen King has written a handful of thousand plus page novels. My ranking, The Stand, 11-22-63, It, Dark Tower, and Under the Dome. Have you read any of King's monumental novels and which is your favorite? I'm currently reading 10-22-63 for the millionth time. I've never read any of those thousand plus page ones, no. I've never read one of those thousand uh, uh, plus page ones, no. Now, I've, I've seen lots of renditions. I've read lots of Cole's notes, but... Or Cliff Notes, as we call them where I'm from. Um, but no, I've never read any of those. Uh, I'm really more of a fan of the SIF that gets adapted from his. Alex Haina writes, one of three. I made a friend at work a few years back because I overheard him talking about movies. I butted myself into the conversation and we realized we were very much on the same wavelength when it comes to film. You know what made us realize that? You. Okay. Uh, I had brought up your name to him at some point and he said he'd been watching you for years, as did I. Now, almost three years later, we haven't stopped the conversation. We now have a podcast together. Oh, that's awesome. And to this day, we talk endlessly about movies, uh, all almost entirely thanks to you. We constantly text each other saying things like, did you hear what Campy has said about such and such it's awesome and i truly don't think we'd have ended up being such good friends if it weren't for you oh man thank you so much thank you dude first of all that's great that you get to meet friends who like watching movies that's awesome it's also great um that you get you guys did your doing your own podcast i think all fans should get involved in doing podcasts or, or a blog or a youtube channel i just think it's good for your fandom to do that so I think that's awesome you do that. But thank you for sharing that story with me, Alex. That makes me feel really nice. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, and best of luck on your podcast. Uh, and by the way, uh, Rick in Texas sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rick in Texas. Appreciate that, dude. All right. Next up, Dylan T. Uh, Dylan T. writes, on social media, rumors are saying projects featuring Amber Heard's Mara are in the works at DC. I personally don't care if Amber is in a film, if this is in a film, yet I'm nervous due to so many people not liking her and boycotting her. Are these rumors true? Thanks. Well, I mean, I we haven't seen anything concrete. I personally think it's true. I do think they're working on more Mara stuff for, for Amber Heard. Now, listen. Again, I don't have a dog in the hunt when it comes to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. I have no dog in that hunt. But I do know this. Um, I do know that over at Warner Brothers, and that includes Zack Snyder, and that includes Walter Hamada, they are all on Amber Heard's side. Um, during the whole thing when everything was going on and when they're getting ready to do to shoot all the extra scenes for the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League and all that kind of stuff, um, Zack Snyder backed Amber Heard. You know, Zack Snyder didn't need to put her in the movie. He didn't have to put her in the extra scenes, but he wanted Amber Heard. And Walter Hamada was all for it. Walter Hamada's been on her side. They they kept her James Wan. Uh you know, backs her, Jason Momoa backs her, the execs at Warner Brothers back her. And honestly, I don't think they give a flying fuck what anybody else thinks. I don't think they care at all. Um, so, yeah, 
and she's so she is in the upcoming they decided not to they decided not to uh, keep her out of Zack Snyder's Justice League they decided not to keep her out of Aquaman uh, and I think they're bullish on the character so I don't know anything factual about whether or not they're moving ahead or developing other projects for Amber Heard as Mara I have heard whispers as well uh, I wouldn't be surprised just just seeing how much support that she has had from that whole roster. Like again, from Walter Hamada to Zack Snyder to James Wan to Jason Momoa and the, the execs at Warner Brothers, uh, I wouldn't be, look, I'll just say I wouldn't be surprised at all. <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I see some people in the live chat saying she's not a good actress. <laughs> okay, you you believe whatever you want to believe. She's a good actress. I, I have I've liked a lot of her work. I mean, is she as good as an actress as Johnny Depp is as an actor? No, Johnny Depp is clearly the superior actor, obviously. But I, I've always thought Amber Heard was quite a good actress. And if you don't believe that, fine. It's all subjective. You can have your opinion. Uh, that That's great. But I think she is quite a good actress. Um, but And uh, the folks at Warner Brothers like her too. So again, I don't know that they're going to be developing... Um, I don't know that they're going to be developing uh, more projects with her or not, but I've heard the rumors. I've heard the whispers. And again, when I sit back and look that the entire hierarchy at Warner brothers and DC, again, right from the top at Walter Hamada to James Wan, to the other execs, to the other directors like James Wan, Zack Snyder to Jason Momoa wanting to continue to work with her. <clears throat> I, I don't see why it wouldn't be true. Again, I don't care. I have no dog in this hunt whatsoever. So you all have your own beliefs for whatever little political position you take. Uh, but for me, I don't care. I just, I just think she's a decent actress. I like the character very much. And if they decide to move ahead and do more, so be it. And they're not going to worry about so-and-so is calling for a boycott. Just like a whole bunch of people called for a boycott of like uh, Captain Marvel. And that movie made over a billion dollars. So again, I don't care if they do and I don't care if they don't, to be honest with you, but uh, we'll see. All right, next up. Uh, where are we at here? Jonathan writes, I saw Shang-Chi's second time reaffirming that this is indeed my number two movie of the year so far. Tomorrow, I'm seeing Free Guy again. My top three movies of 2021. Number one, Free Guy. Number two, Shang-Chi. Number three, A Quiet Place 2. I got to say, those are probably my top three as well. I, I might have them in a little bit of a different order. I might have them in a little bit of a, of a different order. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think those three are probably my three as well. I think my number one is probably still A Quiet Place too. I still think, um, I still think that's probably my number one. But it's close between that and Shang-Chi. And then Free Guy is just a purely delightful movie. So good. Uh, but anyway, I like your picks, Jonathan. I like your picks. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. Owen writes, I'm going to be really disappointed if No Way Home doesn't include Toby, Andrew, Vulture, Mysterio, Daredevil, Batman, Neo, and Gandalf. That's pretty much the... You just, Owen, completely completely summed up the internet right now when it comes to Spider-Man No Way Home. Everybody is saying, I'm going to hate this movie. It doesn't have Andrew and Toby and Batman and Neo and King Kong and Godzilla 
and and Goku and Vegeta. They all got to show up, man. They all got to show up. That's pretty much the whole. Uh, that's pretty much the whole internet right now. That's pretty much the whole internet right now. Uh, by the way, Jesse Keller sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate that very much, man. Uh, let's see here. Uh, that was Owen, right? Yes. Next up, we've got our friend Suthius who writes. Even though Luke Cage season two was somewhat of a letdown for me, I thoroughly enjoyed Mustafa Shakir, uh, Shakir, who portrayed Bushmaster. He was really good in that, actually. I was hoping to see more of him in more projects. Well, I just saw the teaser for Cowboy Bebop, and he looks great. Uh, I can't wait to see it. I Listen, Luke Cage, man, I was so looking forward to Luke Cage. And the first half of season one was was great we had cottonmouth also known as blade now apparently but you had cottonmouth and the first half of season one was was fantastic it was great and then after the first half of season one after cottonmouth wasn't in the show anymore i found the quality of the second half of season one really took a dive and then when season two came it it was interesting at moments, but overall, I just found it to kind of be a little bit of a letdown. I, I found overall the season to be a bit of a letdown, you know, um, but yeah, I just, I wish I could have loved it, but I didn't. I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't a failure, like on the level of Iron Fist or anything like that, but it just, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Unfortunately, it didn't live up to me to the potential that the first half of season one did. You know what I mean? Because that first half of season one was so good. Um, okay, anyway, next up. Suthius also writes, I love sci-fi Western media. This is why Cowboy Bebop is one of my favorite shows of all time. Well, that's not an uncommon answer since Bebop has a huge following. Have you ever seen the show? Uh, if not, what's your favorite sci-fi Western uh, movie show? Um, also, have you seen the intro opening Netflix release for the adaptation of Bebop? I did. Oh, that was all right. I personally liked it, but I'm still worried about the show. Netflix has a track record. Uh, of making terrible anime adaptations. Death Note, yeah, Death Note was pretty rough. Uh, Full Metal and many more. Are there many more? I don't know that there are many more. There might have been a couple more, but anyway. Uh, three of three. While the intro seems to be on the right track, upbeat, fun, and colorful, it also looks like a promo for an anime convention or a fan-made video. But I'll just have to wait for the first trailer uh, to get a feel for the show. Yeah, I, I thought the first thing was okay. Uh, I didn't think it was bad, but it didn't uh, exactly blow me away either. So that was fine. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't. I, I've seen a little bit of Cowboy Bebop, but not a lot. Not a lot. As far as what my favorite sci-fi Western is, let me just ask you guys in the live chat. What do you think I'm about? I bet most of you are going to know what I'm going to say. But as far as sci-fi Western goes, what do you think I'm going to say is, is my favorite sci-fi Western? Let me just see if you guys know in the live chat what I'm going to say. I'm going to give it a, I know there's about a 20 second delay, but monkey Jeebus and iron wolf both get it. Firefly firefly. I mean, fire, when it comes to being a true Western in a sci-fi setting, that was totally it. Not just the show firefly, but also the movie version serenity. By the way, I saw serenity, the movie before I saw firefly. Now, for those of you who don't know, the movie Serenity came after the show was off the air. 
So the show had played. It only had one season. The show had played, finished, and then later they made a movie, a kind of a continuation movie called Serenity. And that was the first that I saw of Firefly was the movie Serenity. I then later went back and watched the show. Serenity is one of the best sci-fi movies of the last 15 years. I, I love that movie. That's the movie that interests me to Chiwetel Ejiofor, where he played the operative, one of the best sci-fi movie villains in history. Not on the same level as Darth Vader, don't get me wrong, but one of the best sci-fi movie villains in history. The operative in Serenity, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, mind-numbingly great. Mind-numbingly great. It was also Nathan Fillion at his best, man. There is a line in that that I I still consider to be one of the funniest lines in movie history. When he says, <laughs> he says, you know, he's Nathan, he's Mal's about to go in and try to do a rescue. And he turns to one of his crew and he says, Now listen, if I'm not back in 10 minutes, you come rescue me. I I, I there was something about the timing of the line that I totally Whatever. And what did the one girl say? Like, I ain't had loving from nothing that didn't come in batteries for, for months or didn't come with batteries for months. I mean, I, I it's, it's, the movie's fantastic. Anyway, I went back to then watch Firefly because I already loved the, sh- I loved the movie Serenity. Then I went back and watched Firefly, fell in love with the show. Um, God, I wish they had done more with that. I really did. Really, really, uh, God, I missed that show. And, uh, oh God, so good. So good. But yes, that is my favorite Western sci-fi. All right, let's keep going here. And, uh, by the way, Mr. Uh, Grant Gregory is saying Jane is the best character. Jane is a great character, but they were all great characters. Like from Mal, Jane preach. I mean, it was just the whole thing. That was the thing. They were all great characters. And that's what made the show great was great characters. But anyway, that's just me. Okay, Uh, let's see. Next up, Paul Drummer writes, I saw the original Exorcist in my local Odeon the other day. Nice. And seeing it in the cinema, to me, just shows how good of a film it is. In my opinion, it still holds up. Do you think it still holds up with today's horror films? Yes. Yes. Um, It's... It, it totally looks, I get a lot of heat from people because, you know, a, a bunch of years ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago, I can't remember my, my friend Serena, she had a movie watch night party at her place and we were watching the original Halloween and I, I hadn't seen the original Halloween since I was a kid. So I was like, okay, yeah, great. Let's, let's watch the original Halloween. And I watched the original Halloween and while everybody else in her house was like, oh, this is so great. I'm like, this, this doesn't hold up at all. And I, all my fellow film fans, all of my fellow film fans always look at me like I just said, let's murder some baby seals. Like I get that look, this same look. Imagine being in a room and saying out loud, hey, everybody, let's go club some baby seals to death. That look that you can imagine people giving you for saying that, that's the look I get when I say I don't like the original Halloween and that I don't think it holds up. That's the look I get from everybody. And then some people will say, well, you just don't think any horror movies. No, no, I do. I totally do. Exorcist is a great example of that. I totally think Exorcist holds up. I really do. Anyway, good, good, uh, good question there, Paul. Okay, next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, Suthius writes, uh, 
I just rewatched a movie that I loved when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it in over 20 years. Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. That's actually kids. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with, uh, you know, starring good Canadian uh, in there. I got to say, for me personally, it holds up. Uh, I was smiling throughout and the practical effects look great when the kids are miniaturized. I don't know. I don't know how great the effects hold up uh, to today. And that's fine. I mean, it's like, it's a really old movie. Of course, the effects don't hold up as well today. I don't know that they hold up so great as effects. But that being said, that movie, I watched it again, maybe about six or seven years ago. And I, I just remember still finding it completely as charming as I used to. I found it completely as charming as I used to. Um, it, it, this was back when, you know, Moranis was like the guy. And, you know, we talk a lot about how much I, I feel how much, Hollywood has missed Rick Moranis Um, and we need him back. By the way, did you guys see that uh, Ryan Reynolds managed to get Rick Moranis to come back to do uh, um, what is the name of Ryan Reynolds's mobile? He's got a mobile plan, a mobile phone, mobile plan company. And I can't remember what's it called again. Um, I, I can't. Oh God, I can't remember. I cannot remember. Mint Mobile, Colin Z and John Stone and Patrick Curse are put in there. Mint Mobile, that's right. So I don't know if you guys have seen the commercial. Have you guys seen this commercial where he he actually ended up getting Rick Moranis to come and appear in a commercial? It's like for the first time uh, that you that I'd seen it. I'd seen Rick Moranis on screen in a while, and he came out and did it. If you haven't seen it, John Stone is saying he hasn't seen it. Jump on youtube and look mint mobile rick moranis and it's just it makes your heart happy to see him on screen again even if there's something as dumb as a mint mobile commercial it's really really fun okay uh next up let's see Dr- uh draconic druid writes saw shang chi in cineplex first movie i've seen since february of 2020 and it started just five minutes after the ticket time very nice well done cineplex i enjoyed it but I think the height got to me, so I was a little disappointed. Uh, things in the movie actually terrified me. Raya the Last Dragon let me down. Glad this didn't. Um, I don't know, man. I gotta say, I really do like... I really liked uh, Ryan the Last Dragon. I really do like Ryan the Last Dragon. I think it's fantastic, actually. Um, I had, a, I thought it was much better than I thought it would be. And I had some real apprehensions about Ryan, the last dragon, because, you know, from when I saw them talk about it at D 23, a number of years ago, I saw them talk about Ryan, the last dragon at D 23. And I got a lot of us very, very excited because they brought out the director. They talked about what. Um, they talked about what motivated her. She showed pictures of her as a little girl dressed up as a Disney princess. And now she was bringing her own Disney princess to life. They introduced us to the voice cast. Um, they introduced us to a whole bunch of stuff. Right. And then like eight months later, we found out that they fired the director, that they replaced half of the voice cast, including the lead girl doing the voice of Raya. Um, They changed up a whole bunch of the story. And I honestly didn't know how good or bad it was going to turn out to be. And so I was a little pessimistic. I'm going to admit I was a little pessimistic, but Anne and I sat down and watched it and I enjoyed it a great deal. 
especially a lot more than Mulan, which I, I believe came out before that. Yeah, I think Mulan came out first. And I was a little let down by Mulan, but I actually quite liked Ryan the Last Dragon. Not nearly as much as Shang-Chi, but I, but I liked it. Uh, by the way, Luke uh, James sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate that. As does Mark Velbla also sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, thanks for that, Draconic Druid. Appreciate the question, man. Next up, Matt Man writes, Hey, John. Really digging the show. Thank you so much, man. Looking forward to seeing, D- seeing Dear Evan Hansen, and I'm a little annoyed with all the age comments for Platt. Upper 20s have always played high school students. Toby was 27 for Spider-Man's. That's just one example. Thoughts. Here's the problem, Matt, man, and I've talked about this before. The problem is not his age. The problem is what age he looks like. Because Ben Platt looks every one of the 28 years that he is. As a matter of fact, the dude looks like he's in his mid-30s. See, because Ben Platt is actually only, like, think about this, guys. Ben Platt is only, like, two or three years older than Tom Holland. He's only two or three years older than Tom Holland. Maybe maybe three or four years older than Tom Holland. Look, the, the point is, he's not much older than Tom Holland, all right? Ben Platt in Dear Evan Hansen is not that much older than Tom Holland. Okay? The difference is not how old they are. That's not the point. The, uh, the point is how old do they look? How old do they look? Because listen, when I watched Toby in Spider-Man 2 in which he's a college student at that point, I think, I believe, is it, was he not a college student in Spider-Man? Anyway, when I watched that, I can buy that he's that age. I can buy it. You know, I wasn't constantly having to suspend my disbelief every time his face came on screen because it's so clear that this guy is in his 30s or whatever, right? You can buy it. Tom Holland is exactly the same thing. Tom Holland's in his 20s. But you can totally, but he doesn't look like it. You could totally buy him as 16 years old or 17 years old, or at least to the point that you don't have to have a fight with your own subconscious to talk yourself into just suspending your disbelief to just believe that he's, you can buy it. See, again, so the point is, it's not that Ben Platt is in his late 20s. That's not the problem. The problem is he looks like he's in his late 20s. And the makeup that they put on him in that movie to try to hide it only made it look more awkward. And I say this as a guy who hasn't seen the movie yet. It's just from what I saw in in all the, the scenes and the previews and the trailers. It's like, I mean, this guy has, a, this, like, God himself reached down his holy hand and placed a golden orb of magnificent angelic voice and put it in Ben Platt's throat. Because this dude can sing. This dude can sing. The, The problem is, every time I watched the trailer, all I saw was an old guy hanging out with high school students. And when it's so obvious 
it becomes jarring to you as the audience. And remember, the, the job of the filmmakers is to create that movie magic where you as an audience member suspend your disbelief, right? But when it becomes difficult to do that, it's hard. So yes, you're right. Hollywood using older actors to play younger characters is not unusual. Hell, just go back and look at Greece. Look at the old John Travolta, um, uh, what's the name of the, uh, uh, Olivia Newton-John. Just go back and watch the Olivia Newton-John, John Travolta, Greece. I mean, they, used, they definitely use some guys in their mid-30s as high school students in that. But today we have different expectations, right? Today we have different expectations. So uh, anyway, you know, that's, that's when I believe that the criticism of his age becomes valid when it actually starts affecting the audience experience with the movie. When the audience member's experience with the movie becomes affected, then that's an issue. And I think it's fair to call it out as an issue when audience members are having their experience affected. But again, I haven't seen the movie yet. I was going to go see it this weekend, but I had a big UFC, you know, Dennis Zen, the Zen master. He came over. I don't get to see Dennis a lot anymore. I mean, he's real busy. I'm busy and we live like an hour apart now. So, you know, I had a big thing for Saturday and I had big plans for Friday night. And then Sunday we we're out at the, in Los Angeles all day at the football game. And we spent like 12 hours out there for that. So I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I do plan on watching it though, but I get the criticism. I do. I, I totally get the criticism. All right. Anyway, next up. Uh, let's see. That was Matt Man. So thanks for sending that in, Matt Man. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Jabin Carter writes, John, who will retire first, Clint Eastwood or Tom Brady? Um, Tom Brady will retire first. At most, at most, Tom Brady, the goat of goats, has three years left. At most. I can't see him playing football to 47 or 48 years old. I mean, he just won a Super Bowl, for heaven's sake. So, obviously, he's still doing fine. But I, I can't see him. So, And I think Clint Eastwood will still be making movies three years from now. I really do. I really think he will be. All right. Next up, uh, Jabin Carter also writes, Also, here's a franchise crossover I'd like to see. Teenage Mutant Ninja Eternals. <laughs> I'd like to see this spinoff almost as much as the Aunt May spinoff. Well, I mean... You know what? I'm not going to shoot down your idea considering I haven't seen Eternals yet. I haven't seen Eternals, so I can't say whether that would be a good one or not. So I'll, I'll say maybe, Jabin, maybe. All right, next up, Willow writes. So has Christian sued you for defamation yet? I'm a bit confused about how one proves a negative. You can prove that somebody humps donkeys, but if you have pictures, videos, witnesses, etc., how does someone... How does someone present proof that they don't hump donkeys? Well, that's a very, very good question. That's a very good question. Um, as silly as the scenario was that I created for the show, like imagine Christian, let's, let's say I accuse Christian Karloff of humping donkeys. And of course, then Christian texted me that awesome donkey chip, which was just perfect. Um, but that's the thing. If you're going to sue somebody. Now, remember, a, a civil litigation is not the same as criminal like in criminal cases you have to prove it beyond reasonable doubt right you have to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt in civil cases the standard is not that high you just have to establish in probability 
When the burden of proof is on you, you only have to establish the balance of probability. If it's criminal, you got to establish it beyond a reasonable doubt. Not zero doubt, but at least beyond a reasonable doubt. In civil litigation, like when two people are suing each other, the, the bar is not that high. It's lower. You just have to establish on a basis of probabilities. Like, it's probable that you were right. And if that's the case, you can win. It doesn't have to be beyond a reasonable doubt. You just have to establish the probability. So I'm thinking in the case of, of, um, in the case of Christian Harloff versus John Campy for defamation about donkey humping, if I were Christian's attorney, it would be simply this. Lay out a string of witnesses who have never once seen Christian Harloff engaging in donkey sex. Then you call the per- then if I was Christian Harloff's lawyer, I would call John Campy to the stand and say, John, you have made statements that Christian Harloff is a donkey humper. Have you ever personally witnessed Christian Harloff humping donkeys? Do you have any photos of Christian Christian Harloff humping donkeys? Do you have any visual or video feeds or video recordings of Christian Harloff humping donkeys? No, 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 no. Then when I was wrapping it up, I would go to the jury and I'd simply say, okay, so we have brought in 20 witnesses who are the people who know Christian Harloff the best in his life, all of whom have testified they've never seen Christian humping a donkey nor ever talking about a donkey or fondling a donkey in an inappropriate way. We've also brought in the defendant, John Campy, to the stand, and we asked him if he actually ever, if he has any particular proof of Christian Harloff, to which he says he does not. We present to the courts that it is, under the law of probabilities, there's no reason to believe that the statements that the defendant was said were true. There's no reason to believe them, and therefore, blah. So that's what I would do. That's what I would do. Which makes the Johnny Depp even in worse trouble than he was already because the onus was on the newspaper before. And here's the thing. In the newspaper, you got to remember this. And again, I don't care. I don't care about Johnny Depp. I don't care about Amber Heard. I think Johnny Depp is a great actor. I like seeing him in movies. I think Amber Heard's a good actress. I like seeing her in movies. But I don't give a shit about either of them. But in the UK trial, the newspaper had to prove their statement saying that Johnny Depp was a wife beater in 14 different incidents that they laid out. And the judge said in the ruling that we find that your claims that Johnny Depp was a wife abuser in 14 different examples were true. The court found that they were true. That they were true. And then when Johnny Depp tried to apply to have an appeal, two other judges looked at the court case. They looked through the court records of everything that happened in the case. And they said, "Um, yeah, Johnny Depp, you do not get to appeal this because you have no chance of winning. The evidence clearly showed that you are a wife abuser. Now, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm not, I am not, John Camby's not sitting here telling you Johnny Depp is a wife abuser. What I am telling you is that a court uh, case happened, a trial happened, and the conclusion of one judge was, yes, Johnny Depp, you are a wife abuser. 
and we have 14 different incidents where we believe the defendant has proved that you're a wife abuser. And then two other judges reviewed the case when Johnny Depp applied for an appeal and two other judges said, you don't get to appeal Johnny Depp because you have no chance of winning. And that was when the onus was on the newspaper to prove that them calling Johnny Depp was a wife abuser was accurate. In the U.S., it's going to be much harder for Johnny Depp. It's going to be much, much harder because now the burden of proof and the onus is on him. Amber Heard doesn't have to prove anything, even though in a U.K. case, she's already proved it. So again, I don't care. Listen, I'm not telling you what I decided. I'm telling you what was decided in a court. You can believe whatever you want to believe. You you believe whatever you want to believe, whether you're a fuck Johnny Depp person or a justice for Johnny Depp person. I don't give a shit. I really don't. I, I am just telling you, the court case happened. One judge said all the evidence proves Johnny Depp's a wife abuser. Two other judges reviewed the case and said, yep, they proved that Johnny Depp was a wife abuser. And now he's coming to the U.S. where the burden of proof is going to be on him. I'm just saying it's going to be harder. It's not impossible It's not impossible that he could win this. I'm just saying it's going to be very, very difficult. It's going to be very, very difficult for him to win. Mm. It's going to be very difficult for him to win. Especially when another court and three different judges all reviewed the same evidence and they all came to the conclusion that Johnny Depp's a wife abuser. And, And here's, this is the part we talked about in the Johnny Depp video. A lot of the the justice for Johnny Depp people keep thinking this court case is about something else, and it's not. They keep wanting to t- complain about Amber Heard did this and Amber Heard did that. And it's like, listen, you have to understand none of that matters. None of it matters. Amber Heard did this and Amber Heard did that. None of that matters. That's not what this case is about. This trial that Johnny Depp has brought to court is specifically about defamation. It's not about anything that Amber Heard did. It's all about statements that Amber Heard made pertaining to Johnny Depp, alluding to and implying that Johnny Depp is a spouse abuser. That's the only thing this court case is about. You can all pretend like it's about other things. Fine. But I'm telling you, that's not what this case is about. This case is about defamation. It's a defamation lawsuit. Johnny Depp is going to have to prove to a jury under the instructions of a judge that the statements Amber Heard made were not true. That Amber Heard claiming that he was abusive was not true. He has to prove it. And it's going to be difficult because three other judges in another court have already seen all the evidence and determined that he did do it. So it's. I'm just saying it's going to be hard. That's all I'm saying. It's going to be hard. So um, have to have to wait and see how it goes. Have to wait and see how it goes. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, Donda writes, "Happy Venom Day, JC. Uh, God, bro, I haven't been this excited for a movie, and I'm seeing Venom tomorrow. I'm gonna go see Venom two tomorrow. I am very excited to see it. Anyway." I haven't been this excited for a movie since Endgame. What's your opening weekend prediction for Venom 2? Right now, it's tracking at 65 million. I think it's going to pass F9 
or possibly Shang-Chi opening. My guess is 72 million. Okay, yes. I am going to go see uh, Venom 2 tomorrow. Super stoked about it. I love the first Venom movie. I cannot wait for this. I think um, Andy Serkis directing this one is going to bring a whole new element to it. I'm very excited. But I am not as enthusiastic about its box office chances. We'll see. I am guessing... I am guessing that Venom 2 will make $48 million opening weekend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it makes $48 million uh, opening weekend. That's my guess. I hope it does better than that. I really do. The first one made over $800 million worldwide. Things are different today. We're in a pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Still a lot of countries that aren't even opening their movie theaters yet. But uh, I'm going to guess $48 million. So I hope you're right, and I hope I like the movie. But the other thing I'm a little bit nervous about, again, I mentioned this earlier, is that the review embargo doesn't lift until the day the movie opens on Thursday. And that's concerning. That's very, very concerning to me. But, you know, I'm going to go see it tomorrow, so I'll find out tomorrow. Uh, by the way, Peter Cunnington sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that a lot, dude. All right. Uh, uh, let's see. Next up. Okay. Next up. Uh, was that Donda already? It was already Donda. All right. Next up, Jonathan writes, I just realized Daniel Craig has played Bond longer than Downey Jr. played Iron Man. Uh, is uh, this is this has to be some monumental feat, right? A record at least? No. Lots of actors have played characters longer than that. Other James Bonds have played characters longer than Daniel Craig has. Hell, um, Hugh Jackman played Wolverine for like 20 years. Played him for like 20 years. So, uh, no, it's not a record. It's not. How long did Harrison Ford play Han Solo? Now, granted, he was, there was a big gap in there. There's a huge, huge gap in there. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's not a record. I mean, it's certainly a really long time. It was certainly a really long time, but no, it didn't set any records, not even for his own franchise. Other guys played it longer than he did in his own franchise. Uh, by the way, banana apple sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, banana apple. I love the username by the way. All right. Next up, we got, uh, Daniel Ketchum and Daniel Ketchum writes, uh, John and or company. Have you seen Schmigadoon yet? I've seen a couple of episodes. I just saw all the episodes at a friend's house and it's awesome. Almost worth signing up for Apple TV just to see it. Who wants some corn pudding? We want corn pudding. I'll tell you what. I did not like, I had no interest in watching Schmigadoon with uh, Keegan-Michael Key. I had no interest in watching Schmigadoon. And then one night, Anne, and I think Koori was over, and I think they just popped it on. I think they just popped it on. And I sat down and I watched the first episode with them. And I'd be lying to you if if I didn't tell you. I thought it, I thought it was pretty good. Now I haven't seen episodes two or onwards. I do plan to at some point because I did see the first episode and I liked it. I thought it was pretty charming and pretty good. So I will get back on it and watch the rest of it. So yes, one episode in. And Schmigadoon is pretty good. And by the way, uh, Lorna of the Shell People uh, writes in the live chat, Schmigadoon, what a title. I know. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to watch. It's like, this is a stupid title. Again, marketing, right? It's a dumb title, Schmigadoon. But then you watch it and it's like, okay, it 
this is pretty great. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to go back and watch more of it. And yes, uh, simplistic grace is saying, is saying Apple TV really is becoming must have. It really is. I know, I know people don't want to have to sign up for yet another streaming service, but Apple TV is kind of becoming must have. It's between Ted Lasso and for all mankind and Schmigadoon and a lot of other things they've got going, man. It's they've turned into a really, really great streaming service. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's just do a couple more here. Then we'll wrap it up for tonight, guys. Uh, Cole writes, Hey, John, I saw you went to the Rams Bucks Bucks game on Sunday. That was yesterday. Yes, I did. And I wanted to know how your trip to the game was. Uh, what was the stadium like? How was your time at the game? And most importantly, how cool was it being able to see the GOAT Tom Brady play? Thanks. Watching Tom Brady play was everything. It, it's, it was like one of the little life goals of mine to be able to see Tom Brady play at least once live and in person. And it was awesome. Now, the Bucks lost, but I got to watch Tom Brady, number one play. I got to watch Brady throw for 436 yards, two touchdowns, including an, a, a rare Tom Brady rushing touchdown. Uh, it was great. And the stadium is fantastic. Listen, by the way, I don't know if you guys know, but I put up on my YouTube channel. Let me see if I can bring it up here. I'm not 100% sure that I can. But yes, I put up on my channel, you can see right here, uh, John and Ann visit SoFi Stadium and see Tom Brady play. I made a little vlog of, uh, of our visit to SoFi Stadium and uh, going to see that game. If you want to know what visiting the stadium was like and what that experience was like, go ahead and watch that video after we're done the show here. But uh, it was gr a great experience, man. It was an absolutely great experience. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. All right, next up. Jonathan writes, Free Guy is still my favorite movie of the year. I love every fucking minute of this shit. I can't get enough, man. Uh, what movie out there can replace Free Guy? Nothing. Nothing, I tell you. Free Guy, new grade, A fucking plus. Hey, listen, I, I love Free Guy. And, you know, we talked about on the John Campus show this morning, but Free Guy was number three at the box office this weekend in its seventh week of release. Let that sink in. In its seventh week of release, it was still number three at the box office. It has now made well over $300 million. It is just, I just couldn't be happier for them. The movie is great. I don't know that I call it the best of the year, but it's fantastic. If you guys haven't seen Free Guy, get out while you can, man. Get out while you can and go see it. Okay, uh, next up, Anthony writes, I don't know if they'll do it, but I would love it if they played Survivor's Eye of the Tiger during the opening Marvel intro for Thor Love and Thunder to show Thor getting back into shape from that fat Thor. That would be hilarious. Listen, I think a lot. And, you know, seeing so Star-Lord Thor with that some kind of music playing and them lifting bags of wheat or whatever these superhuman strength guys will do and, and whatever and showing them getting back in the shape. Either that or the Karate Kid song. You're the best around. No one's ever gonna take you down. You're the best. Something like that. But I the Tiger would be pretty good too. I the Tiger would also be pretty good. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, next up, we've got Victor who writes. 
Uh, do you think we'll have James Earl Jones return as the voice of Vader in Obi-Wan? I don't, actually. I don't think he will. Uh, he's great, but the voice was a little rough in Rogue One. Also, there are other talented voice actors who have already done his voice in games, etc. And some are really good. Yeah, listen, I think there will definitely be an emotional um, connection, an emotional reason why a lot of people would love to see James Earl Jones back doing the voice of Vader, obviously. But the reality is, as awesome as it is to hear the voice of James Earl Jones in there, the fact of the matter is his voice has changed, right? His voice has changed. And as sacrilegious as it is to suggest, and I say this as a Star Wars purist, as sacrilegious as it is to suggest, it it might be time for in the movies for them to bring in another voice actor to do the voice of Vader. I mean, somebody who can get as nailed close to the original James Earl Jones, Jones voice as possible. But you're right. I think other video game, the, some video game adaptations, stuff like that, and some even like some of the novel, the audio novel dramas, I think have shown you can get somebody else to do it. I know it feels... I feel dirty even suggesting it. I feel dirty even suggesting it. But listen, while I am not against the idea of James Earl Jones coming back to do the voice, and by the way, we don't even know if Vader will be in Obi-Wan. We don't even know if, if Vader, well, he probably will be. I, I, I don't know. We know Anakin will be, but how that's going to do it, I, I'm not sure. But it. I'm not against Obi Wan or uh, against James Earl Jones doing it, but it might be time for somebody else to do it. You know, I see uh, Lo- uh, Loanna is saying in the live chat they could use old recordings of the, his voice if they want to. Yeah, but then again, then you're just getting into the same problem that they had in the Rise of Skywalker with using old footage of Carrie Fisher in the movie, like those scenes she shot were not for those scenes. The scenes Carrie Fisher shot was for a different thing. It wasn't... And that's why Carrie... Look, they totally should have recast Carrie Fisher for the last one. Because every scene she was in, when they were trying to chop and slice together other unused footage of hers, for these scenes that though that footage she shot was never meant for, it felt so shoehorned and so jarring and so out of place... Why would you just go back and get old recordings of James Earl Jones and hack and slice and Frankenstein together some kind of audio thing? Yes, Luke. Now we must go and find the galaxy. Like it would just just get a different voice actor. You'll you'll get a better movie out of it, right? And listen, I. I <sighs> Carrie Fisher is as dear to my heart as a Star Wars fan as any other Star Wars fan. But The Rise of Skywalker, a million things would have made that movie better. But one of the things that would have made that movie better if they, is if they had just recast Leia and had somebody actually in there doing scenes that were meant for this movie. Unlike going and getting old footage 
that Carrie Fisher recorded for a totally different movie and totally different types of scenes. And then Frankenstein and edit together where it kind of looks like she's in this movie and it felt so jarring and so out of place. And yeah, so I, yeah, I, I think it's just time to get somebody else to do the voice. But again, if James Earl Jones comes back to do the voice, you're not going to hear any complaints from me. No complaints from me. But if it's up to me, I'm probably thinking it's time to, to get somebody else to do the voice now. Listen, James Earl Jones has served us well for like almost 50 years, 40 plus years. James Earl Jones has served us very well as Star Wars fans. Maybe it's time we give him a break. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Maybe it's time we give him a break. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, last one we'll do today, guys. Cross McFingers writes, um, there's speculation that the potential IATSE strike could affect the release of Hawkeye, Spider-Man No Way Home, and other film slash TV releases for the remainder of 2021. Those shows are probably in post and very close to release. How credible does that all sound? It doesn't sound very credible to me, to be honest with you. I think those things that are, um, those projects that are already, already so close to release, I don't think those projects are in danger at all. Uh, I straight up with you. I don't think those projects are in danger at all. I really don't. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think all of Hawkeye, first of all, I'm not, I'm still not convinced there's going to be a strike. I don't think a strike is good for anybody. I mean, listen, if the IATSC feels they need to do it, then, then they need to do it. But I think it's in everybody's best interests on both sides to get a deal done. Nobody wants a strike. The IATSC doesn't want a strike. The producers certainly don't want a strike. And so because of that, I think cooler heads will prevail and I think they will get a deal done. I'm going to remain optimistic. I'm going to remain optimistic that I believe they're going to get a deal done and avoid a strike. However, if a strike does happen, if it does happen, I honestly don't think um, I honestly don't think there's going to be I don't think it's going to affect these projects. It's going to affect everything, but I don't think it's going to affect those ones that are already just getting ready to release. I don't think it's going to have an impact on those. I could be wrong, but I really don't think there's going to be a big uh, thing in that. Anyway, guys, listen. There are still more to go from Crashing Coyote, uh, Andres, uh, Chris, BK, Dan, and others. Do not worry. We will pick up right where we left off on tomorrow's John Campia show. So make sure you come back and join me and Robert Meyer Burnett at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Just so you guys know, it is now official. We have moved the John Campia show one hour. It no longer starts at 10 a.m. Los Angeles time and now starts at 11 a.m. Los Angeles time. We've been doing that for about a week now, just testing it out. And I'm not going to lie to you. It works for me a lot better. So we now do it at 11 a.m. So do join us, me and Robert Meyer Burnett, tomorrow at 11 a.m. Los Angeles time. You can look up whatever time that is in your time zone. And we hope to see you guys then. Anyway, guys. That will do it for me. Thanks for being here for this installment of John Campia After Dark. Always good to have you guys here with me. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for throwing in all the answers that I froze on and giving me your input in the live chat, guys. To all of you who sent in super chat badges and live chat, thank you for that as well. And then to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campia Show, thank you guys so very much. 
for your support. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me for tonight. Have yourself a fabulous rest of your evening. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.